3: Hey guys, I'm Sai and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation, the home of the Andy Campbell Show. This is episode number 74. The show is live on YouTube, Facebook and Twitter. Ace Podcast Nation, also your home to many other great shows and series. Top guests, expert analysts and more. So please give us a follow on social media. And of course, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Best way to support us. You can get the audio versions at uh, all the usual Podcast and radio platforms, and of course you can follow the show if you want to streamline your experience and just want to focus on the football shows and talk football by following uh, the Andy Campbell shows at at AC footy uh, at AC Footy shows. Sorry, I got confused there, and that's on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So uh, just as we wait for the chat to. Uh, to fill up with the late late comers. A big shout out and thank you to Black Diamond Sports for all their support. Black Diamond Sports, of course, is a global sports agency representing sports stars from around the world. For more information, you can visit their social media pages as well as their brand new website, The links to which are in the description as well as the the closing credits at the end of the show. And uh, today's sponsor, as per usual, is Bespoke Financial. Big thank you to them. And uh, here's just a quick word from them as well.
2: My mummy and daddy have been talking about life insurance. It sounds like something to protect my brother and me, but I don't really understand. Then my auntie Louise told mummy about Bespoke Financial Teesside. After an hour Darren said goodbye and Mummy and Daddy seemed a lot happier. Once it was all sorted we could all relax and watch a film together as a family. I don't know why they didn't do it sooner.
3: A big thank you to Bespoke Financial, of course, and uh, Bespoke Financial specialise in life insurance, critical illness, income protection, mortgages, and of course, sports cover. You can find links to their social media pages in the description below, as well as the uh, closing credits again. And uh, of course, we thank them for sponsoring the show. Uh, So, let's talk some football. Of course, joining me first, uh, introducing the goal collector, the fox in the box, still the king of the Millennium Stadium. He is Middlesbrough's favourite son, the king of the over forties. Davy Jones's favourite son. Mr. Andy Campbell, how are you, mate? I'm good,
1: mate. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's great to have uh, have a guest on that I've played with. Um, so I'm really looking forward to this one. Bit, a little bit like a like a kid in the sweet shop. So yeah, uh, it'll be it'll be a good show.
3: It's a reunion, mate. A reunion. Sort of, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, today's guest started his professional career at Manchester United before playing for almost an endless list of top clubs, including Royal Antwerp, Reading, Burnley, West Ham United, Stoke City, Norwich, MK Dons and more, making nearly 500 career appearances, scoring 43 goals, representing England under-21s. It is my absolute pleasure to introduce Mr Luke Chadwick. Welcome, Luke. How are you, mate?
1: Yeah, all good. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thanks for coming on, Luke. As I say, it's uh, it's nice to have a, um, somebody from... Uh, my generation, somebody that I was lucky enough to play with, so it was uh, it was always a it was always a pleasure to uh, to play with you. It was always a, and I was always, always a good crack as well. So we always had a we always a good la- we always had a good laugh. Our generation, did not
0: we? Yeah, yeah, it was a good good time. It's been a while. It's been
1: a while. I remember. It's been too the, long, uh, mate. I think I'll be honest. It's been far too long. A fair far few years ago that we yeah, played together. Far too long. We've lost uh, we've lost a lot of hair in the meantime between. Yeah, us, all, so gone. yeah. all gone. All gone
3: now. Sarah looks boy. like he's got long hair. Yeah, he's coming back. I'm going to grow it back out. I think. Um, very briefly, I'm just going to address a comment in the chat. Richie Thomas says uh, he just wants to know what I thought of Kiefer Moore's performance over the weekend because I slated Cardiff on Friday. I will address it on Friday, Richie, because this is not the Championship show. But uh, set piece merchant, <laughs> Anyway, Anyway, um, so to start off the show, look, we're going to go with the the quick fire questions. The Magnificent Seven. Seven quick fire questions, and uh, just to answer the first thing which comes to mind. So, Luke Chadwick's magnificent seven. Uh, Messi or Ronaldo? Messi. Manchester United or MK Dons?
1: Man United.
3: Favourite TV very, show.
1: I'm very disappointed MK Duncan's right, right
3: now, by the way. Oh, yes. yes. Favourite TV show? Uh,
1: this Country.
3: Anything. Just favourite TV show. Anything you want.
0: This Country.
3: Oh, right. That's the show, is it? Eh? I thought <laughs> yeah, you were yeah. asking me the question. In This Country. Uh, okay. Fair enough. Uh, angriest teammate? Roy Keane. Uh, Paul Ince, Alex Ferguson or Kyle Robinson? Sir Alex. That's a tricky one, I thought. That was a good one. Uh, Ryan Giggs or David Beckham?
0: Oh, my God.
3: That's a good question, though.
1: Yep. Beckham.
3: <laughs> and, uh, you've,
1: upset, you've upset a lot of people, including and <laughs> <laughs> All
3: right, so I'm a Rodri fan. Uh, greatest, <laughs> greatest English Englishman of all time.
2: Oh my
1: God!
3: Oh no, actually, the greatest Englishman who ever lived is actually technically the question. We've had some unbelievable answers, haven't we? We've
1: had some unbelievable answers.
3: Doesn't have to be football related. That one.
1: I'm have to go with a fictional character, Alan Partridge.
3: Oh, oh I like that. I like, I like that, that a lot. I like that. We've had some, we've had some like very random, lot.
1: haven't we? Very <laughs> random, outside the box questions. We've had some. Uh, that's another excellent answer, by the way.
3: No, that, well, that's why it's good, isn't it? Because yeah. uh, literally everyone is going to say something completely different, and because you're put on the spot as well, it's like it just puts you on the spot. Then you you did you did you did put
1: him on the spot, side didn't you? You didn't have put him on the spot with a few of the hands. Well, by the way,
3: yeah, well, I like <laughs> to question, I like bro. to uh, I like to test the guests, let the people all
1: for uh, all for the people getting all your Luke before we that's delve it, into yeah. uh, the good stuff shortly. That's, that's
3: it. That's it. I think we're not bad, anyway. They weren't no, as bad Who had the bad ones It was uh, David Cottrell Had a couple of bad ones Didn't
1: he Yeah there's been a, when, when there's been A co- little bit of a controversy We've um, We've stitched a little bit there. Yeah. David Cottrell got Cardiff or Swansea Which oh, okay. Didn't go down very well <laughs> But hey ho <laughs> Bit of fun wasn't it Yeah, yeah. Bit of fun it's Might so not talk was to us it. again but, Bit of hey, fun uh, Nice no, he's, he's coming he's back been on the show now He's coming now, back
3: <laughs> So um, Yeah So what we like to do uh, Luke Before we sort of Delve into your career And stuff Uh, We do any other business where we pick a couple of stories from the the football world over the weekend or the past week. Just have a little chat about them. And uh, as an ex-Man United player, I wanted to pick your brains on a couple of bits from uh, Man United over the weekend and the last week. Not so much their performance, because that was garbage and I'm not really interested in that. I'm more interested in uh, the comments which Ole Gunnar made. He was not a happy camper. On Friday in his press conference, over basically Mason Greenwood, they've spent the last year, uh, as Man United have done for many years, as I'm sure you you know you ought to be aware from your time there, is they uh, he didn't do any interviews apart from on their own TV channel. Uh, they kept him well, you know, out of the limelight. Kept, kept his feet on the ground. He went for his first trip to England, uh, and then he was in front of the the media. I think it was the first day or the first morning he was there. Um, So I don't think Solskjaer was too happy about that, and uh, he kind of criticised their treatment of him. Um, And I guess I wanted to know your opinion of that, and also like sort of shine a light on it for us on you know Manchester United's protection of those young players. Like we didn't hear from Ryan Giggs. It felt like for like the first ten years of his career.
0: Yeah, I think at Manchester United there is a case they do try and protect their young players and keep them out the media as much as possible. I remember. Myself as a young player, I never really spoke to the press at all. That might have been because they weren't that interested in what I had to say, but it was just a case of shielding players. I think whether that's a good thing or not, I'm not so sure in this day and age. I think things have changed a lot in terms of Ryan Giggs from 25 years ago, or however long it was, where there is so much attention, so much media coverage that it probably is a good idea to get younger players in front of the camera at an early age and to, to get comfortable with it. Obviously, I'm not sure it was the best idea from England to throw Greenwood straight in front of the press considering he'd not really done any of that sort of thing before. And I'm sure there was plenty of other more experienced players that could have done that press conference. Obviously, the next thing that happened is Greenwood having a, a girl in his room or whatever with Phil Foden, which is, of course, probably not the best thing to do at any stage if you career when you're away from England, particularly though when you're on your, your first trip and then obviously yeah. the media storm around that is always going to be huge. So obviously Mason brought that on himself by getting himself in that situation. I can understand Solskjaer's frustration to a certain extent of Greenwood being thrown in the first instance in front of the press but other than that, I think Mason Greenwood's put on a bit of trouble himself. A young lad, I'm sure he'll learn a lot from it but He's going to have to deal with that. The club's going to have to deal with that. And it's not helped, of course, with such a inept performance from the team in the, the no. first game of the season, particularly with Greenwood being left out, probably because of the, the England situation. It ended last season as probably United's best player. So it was a, a big loss of only playing the second half. So I understand all his frustration for the first instant, But other than that, I think Mason's
1: brought on the, the negative co- press coverage himself, really.
3: Yeah, you say there, Luke.
1: You say um, you mentioned Ryan Giggs there, and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw obviously some other quick names like you. So I'll go Paul Scholes, David Beckham. I um, probably Gary Neville to a certain degree, um, and obviously Ryan Giggs. That if if Manchester United or the players themselves knew they were going to be world superstars like they were, um, do you think then that they probably should have been put into the cameras a little bit to give them some experience? Because obviously David Beckham was thrown into the limelight, um, probably. More than most, with um, getting married to a Spice Girl, getting sent off in the World Cup fi- World Cup quarter final against Argentina, um, Paul Scholes was relentless. Never, never, ever, ever went in front of a camera. But now he's on, he's on TV. Um, probably similar to Michael Owen uh, to a certain degree. That these players didn't do it as a, as young players, and now they go on TV and they get a lot of stick for being um, probably one toned or uh, being boring, which I don't believe. By the way, I, I find them really exciting to listen to, but they do seem to get a lot of stick on social media and by by other reporters for, for those kind of reasons, and I think it's unfair, but would that would it have helped if they had a little bit more experience as younger people or younger players? Yeah, I think so. I think definitely
0: it's good, particularly now. Obviously, back then it wasn't, it was obviously a huge industry, a huge game, a huge club, Manchester United, but even between 20 years ago and now the, it's gone up so much in terms of the coverage that's given to the players and everything that they have to be media trained, really. They have to be know how to, to speak in, a, in front of a camera, how to express themselves because that, that's as much as the game as the football is now. You mentioned Paul Scholes there, who didn't really do any interviews throughout his whole career. I don't think a player of his standard standing could probably get away with not doing that in this day and age, the way that the, the game is now because it it's such a huge business.
1: But you look at you look at social media. You know, like around about interviews. Interviews can be done in so so many ways, can't they? They could be done over Zoom, um, a yard like this. They can be done over uh, just a, a phone being stuck in your face in a restaurant or in a in a in a shop that that, that someone has uh, asking you a question, and, and, and that whatever you say is, is out there forever. Because you know, what I mean, if you get caught in the spot, sometimes and I think it's so unfair for uh, for young players nowadays to for social media to. Um, to punish people over and over. Because if you do make a mistake, because let's be honest, everyone's young once. You know We've all made mistakes as young people, said something we shouldn't have to the wrong person at the wrong time. But luckily enough for, a, well, for, for me and for when I played, when you played, that those mistakes do get forgotten about over a short space of time because they can't be getting brought up via video message or um, social media and retweeted and shared, etc. It, it must be so hard nowadays for a player to concentrate solely on football when social media is so rife Here's a question yeah.
3: for both of you. Quickly. Sorry to interject there, Luke. I just want to ask both of you this question while Andy was talking about it. If are you too glad the social media wasn't a thing when you were like 18, 19, yeah. breaking into the team? Yeah. And do you think it would have had do you think you'd have at some point posted something or got caught out on, you know, having beers or something? just not necessarily massive, but just there would have been some sort of mistake because you're growing up in the public eye and I think social media has made that a lot harder for young players. Um, Luke, you go first. Do you think, are you glad the social media wasn't there when you were that age? And also, like, do you think you would have tripped up?
0: Yeah, 100%. I think you'd be lying. I think any young player would be lying if they said they they wouldn't have tripped up at some point. We've all done something stupid and... you. If you do that now, you you do get caught out because there's always a, a camera phone or someone's in it and it's all over social media. So 100% I would have got caught out like I think most people would have. And it's probably back then, 25 years ago, however long it was, probably a lot worse things were happening than what are happening now in terms of yeah. the, the guys having a couple of girls in the rooms or whatever and getting caught out that way. But it is, <laughs> it's bigger business now. It's even more... In the public eye, so it is. It's in much, much harder now, but at the same time, it it sort of forces the young players to to behave themselves to a certain extent.
3: Mm. Just I'll about totally what
1: about you, And? I, I think you can look at it from two ways. I think, for from football, for a football term, uh, I don't think I would have posted um, after a game to say, you know what I mean, because you, you're there to get shot down. You're there, to, you know what I mean, for away fans who would probably slag you off and tell you how bad you are, this, that, and whatever, and be personal. If you didn't play well, you know what I mean? Are you, are you going to tweet all the time? Is someone doing your tweets for you? And I'll use Ronald Koeman as an example. But Ronald <laughs> Koeman, after every single game when he was Everton manager, tweeted the same thing, basically. Thanks for the fans for coming. You know what I mean? Safe journey home. Um, we'll go again next week. Blah, blah, blah. Which is which is fine because he's interacting with people. I used to read the comments. I started with the first week and he was getting some negative comments. The week after, he was getting abused. The following week, listen, and it's not worth the hassle. So just don't do it. You know what I mean? you you're famous enough. You don't need the hassle, You don't need the extra pressure. And what Luke said there, you know what I mean? That um you'd you, you be anyone come on this show or any platform to say they didn't get caught out and didn't do didn't do something when they were younger, they were an absolute complete and un- compulsive liar. Because you know, I would have got caught out every Sunday. I'll be honest. <laughs> so, and, and the pub I was in in Cardiff, and guests just brought oh, gotcha. on the, on the group chat there that. We had a Sunday oh, club at yeah. Cardiff, we had a Sunday club at Middlesbrough, we had a Saturday club at Middlesbrough, and every, every weekend it was the same thing. It was a, it was a drink culture, and, and it wasn't anybody's fault. It was just the way that football was going or had gone, and it was, and it was, it was probably transitioning. Um, but it was loads of fun, and would I have would changed it for the world? No, of course I wouldn't, but I wouldn't have liked a, a camera phone in my face at 11 o'clock at night after oh, being yeah. in the pub all day. That would have been very dangerous for, both, for so everybody. What?
3: But yeah, well, I'm glad, and I wasn't a footballer. I'm glad the social media wasn't around when I was a like a teenager to twenty because I'd have probably been unemployable at any point <laughs> in my life Be- i because I said you know I did a lot of stupid said a lot of stupid stuff when i was I was horrible teenager um I got progressively better as I've got older. i like to think, but I just think that social media would have been not been a good thing for me as a a young person, um, so I do feel for these players who are growing up in the limelight, especially like you see, like people like uh, I forgot his name again, and the one who went to Borussia Dortmund from a championship, Belling- uh, Belling- Bellingham, Bellingham, like sixteen, seventeen in the public eye, like that has got to be so difficult. Like I got a um, fifteen-year-old. I know you two have got teenagers as well. Like, can you imagine them having to like? have a social media accounts and being like have the media hounding yeah. them like everywhere they go is incredibly difficult.
1: But um, on, on on that though cuz there is a positive what comes out of obviously negatives and things and and the way that Jude's handled himself on right, the social media is absolutely fantastic by the way because um obviously the story Luke, with um, them retiring his shirt from last year which <laughs> is just <laughs> which, which which wasn't his choice by the way he's just got he got landed with something which was out of his control but the way that he's handled the banter the way that he's handled um probably done kindness as well it was it was just amazing and you know what whoever's advising him or if he's doing it himself or it's his family or his or his brothers a fair play to him because you know what he's come out with a lot more credit and he's allowed his football to go and do the talking in, in Germany and he started off like a house on fire he's doing really well um and uh hopefully he can carry on
0: yeah definitely I think that just shows how maybe it is the social media side of it the positive side of it the way that young players like himself have, have handled themselves and shown the positive way around it and how to um, use Twitter, Facebook, whatever it is, in a real positive manner to yeah. build your profile. Yeah.
1: yeah. I totally agree, because I, I, I think, you know what I mean, social media can be, it can be a tool for good and also it can be a tool for bad. It depends how you use it. You know that I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for me that, that Facebook, Twitter, Instagram linkedin whatever you want snapchat whatever you want to whatever, whatever anybody wants to use use it but use it with your own name and whatever you write and whatever you say to people if that's good or bad live and die Go by on. it live Go and die on. by it because if you're going to say something nasty to me that's fine that's absolutely fine you know what I mean? me want to insult my family you've got that you you can you can write whatever you want but i want to see who's writing it and i want to see and i want to see everyone else to know who's written it because that's somebody's son
3: daughter brother sister yeah. Uh, Do you know what else hand as well to that? There's another aspect to that is that whether it's celebrities, people generally, young people particularly, is people make mistakes. Anyone who tells you they've never made a mistake is a liar. Everybody has made mistakes. Now, I believe that if you make a mistake, you should be given the opportunity to show that you've grown and that you're sorry and that you can learn from it and you can improve as a person. To a certain extent, obviously, like when you start breaking the law and things like that are slightly different. But if it's just like a stupid tweet from when you were 14 and you see some people, celebrities getting, you know, dragged up on it like 15, 20 years later or whatever it is, you know, a long time later, I I find that troubling. But I believe that everyone, you know, everyone makes mistakes and you should be allowed to grow. By it, if you keep making the same mistake, then obviously there's a different road. But yeah. ultimately, That's totally ultimately these are young totally people great. growing up in the public eye. Um, okay, totally just 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 to finish on this social media yeah. one, by the way. Anybody who doesn't follow
1: Luke on social media, by the way, it, it does brighten up your day. By the way, there's yeah. some, the, just the. The, the tweets that you do, um, you know what I mean, are so funny. The, the LinkedIn's what you what you put on, you know what I mean, are it, just amazing. So anybody who doesn't follow him, follow him just to cheer yourself up on a on a Monday morning or a weekend or whatever day he, he puts things out because they are absolutely superb. Mate. So carry them on, please, please, please do. Thank you.
3: Spot on. So um, the last bit of any other business, and I know you wanted to talk about um, the crowds being back in football to a certain Crowd. degree. It's not great, um, We talked crowd. about it a little bit on Friday, didn't we? About like that, the the numbers were almost not worth it, um, and with the grounds the way they are in this day and age, there's enough room to have more than a thousand fans there and still stick to the, you know, the regulations of social distancing and this. The only issue maybe is uh, kind of in the foyers and things like that. But I think you can do more than a thousand, and you can certainly work it better than what they are at the moment. But uh, what did you think of it?
1: Um, I just thought, I just thought it looked, just looked silly, you know. You know I, mean? I I got I got an opportunity to go to the game and I, I didn't go to the game because I wanted to see what it was going to look like. And I watched it on the TV and what a look, what I saw from from my own eyes was it just looked ridiculous. You know, there was no no two people sat with each other. You know what I mean? So that's that's the son or daughter, husband, wife, brother and sister, whatever that may be, they were sitting um with the seats gap and I just it just didn't look like for me, you know, that a thousand people for me. If that's 1,000 people in a 40,000-all-seater 40, 40, stadium, it's going to be 1,000 people in a 7,000-seater stadium. It just doesn't make sense. To have a percentage, and the percentage could have worked. They could have opened two sides of the stadium, you know what I mean? So opposite from each other. They could have opened behind the goals. I just think 1,000 fans, it, there was no point, you know what I mean? And and, and then I heard um, Kevin Blackwell saying that the fans made a difference. That, that's brilliant. But 10,000 fans would have made a bigger difference and Middlesbrough could have got the much-needed points that they need because you know what I mean they're used to playing in front of big players you know we just spoke off air there about about personally how fans made a huge impact on my career and how they made an impact on my game day and my my preparation and how I felt during the game I couldn't imagine listening to individuals during the game you know what I mean being an adult and playing for competitive three points it would it'd be very surreal and very strange and listen it's great to have football back it's great to have fans back in but for me we can have more and, and just you know what I mean if yeah, because I look, I look at what's going on in the government at the minute And what what, what I'm listening to in, in the local area That we had a thousand fans back on Saturday And potentially we're going back in lockdown in a week So how does, how does this work? What's the point in having fans back if we're going to go back in lockdown? It just doesn't make sense to me, the whole thing
3: Yeah, it's, it's troubling um, with, with regards to the guidance and everything It changes week to week and, and it's frustrating Because no one really knows where they stand And no one really knows what to do but um, in terms of the football crowds, look, you can't fill the stadiums up at the moment. We know that. But there's got to be a better way to do it. Um, I just don't see how a 1,000 fans can make that much of a difference. Because, as you know, like in a football stadium or whatever, um, not every single fan makes a noise and shouts and sings. So when you yeah. like portion that out of a thousand if you're lucky half of them will sing and shout maybe a bit more because this, they know that there's not many there i just wonder is there a way to get bigger crowds in without making it you know without breaking the government's guidelines what did you think of it luke and like what do you think of it going forward
0: yeah i understand it to a certain extent obviously safety is paramount i think the whole situation the messaging has been so mixed i don't think anyone really knows what's safe what's not safe how many people can sit together how many people can't so they've got to get fans in somehow there's a thousand this week hope maybe in two weeks there's more and it just keeps going up going up making sure that things are safe it's it's a bit of a mess at the moment to be fair thank god they are back playing football so we've got something to watch on the telly hopefully soon arrival and later there's fans back in because I'm sure, everyone agrees it's not the same spectacle, it's not no. got the, nothing about it really without it. But without it's better than nothing, it's better than nothing at the moment. And yeah. hopefully, things will just slowly improve. And before we know it, there'll be 40, 50, 60,000 fans back in stadiums. Yeah. Yeah. Fingers,
1: Mitch, are, fingers crossed. But also, also, also sorry,
0: it sorry, right, I, mean, I was going to just um, ask
3: a question from there. Luke, which on this. Um,
1: how does you know obviously you've um you know what I mean your you, your sons play for play football obviously you have still got a close links with Cambridge United how are, how are, how's a club like Cambridge United coping with with this kind of um with this kind of thing happening at the club you know not with mean? no fans in there you know what I mean that financially um and obviously football terms as well
0: yeah it's t- to, to be fair, Cambridge start started the season are absolutely flying, so perhaps yeah, they have, they're, um, yeah. they're yeah. better without fans in the stadium. <laughs> I think Cambridge were used and they had a thousand fans come in for the, for the Fulham game in the, the Johnson's Paint Trophy or whatever it's called now and they had fans go into that which was obviously great for the club and it was real positive news. In terms of financially, it's a struggle for Cambridge. It's a struggle for, for every single League One, League Two club because the majority of the The finance comes from the gate receipts, people coming through the turnstiles. So I think there's only a a certain amount of shelf life to it unless there's going to be money filtered down from the Premier League or wherever it comes from. Because the clubs just won't be able to survive long term without supporters in the
1: stadium. Yeah, which is such a shame, isn't it? Um So you've got a couple of good questions.
3: Yeah, about yeah, yeah. I got a couple there, which kind of fit into this uh, this subject. So we got uh Richie asked a uh, quick question for Andy and Luke. How would you both feel if you were playing during this current situation? Would it have an impact on your your confidence to play, etc.? Uh, Luke, you go first, mate.
0: I think it'd have a like. You play football. You want to be a footballer as a as a child. The thing you want to do is play in front of thousands and thousands of supporters. That's what the dream is when you're growing up so for it for them not to be there I think it would it would have an impact without a doubt I think you sort of see in the games now that you watch on the telly they all start quite slowly it's not got the same pace to the game not the same intensity because I think that comes from the crowd it sort of builds you up and as you run around a little bit more run around a little bit faster so it definitely have a, a detrimental impact in my opinion on on the majority of players' performance, obviously, if you're going through a bit of a bad time and you're getting a load of stick off mm-hmm. the fans, it might be a quite nice environment to be in because there's no crowd in the stadium. But I think it is there's no benefit from there not being crowd in the stadiums, obviously, apart from the safety aspect due to
1: the the current situation.
3: Yeah, what about you, And? Would you have uh, struggled with it? Do you think?
1: I, yeah, I I, I enjoyed the same as Luke. I enjoyed. I wanted to be a footballer because it was about playing in front of crowds. I watched my heroes as a as a, as a fan uh, at Essen Park, watching Middlesbrough and I, I used to love going there and 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 wanting to be that person one day on the pitch with with supporters all around four stadiums and watching watching those eleven players on the pitch. And you know, what I mean, for me, it, it just reminds me of playing in the reserve team environment. And I, I don't think I'd be a be a big fan of it. You know what I mean? I don't. They don't have a choice, obviously, but. Um, you know what I mean? ideally you know what I mean we want fans back in gradually yes safe yes but for me just we've got to give it a go but we've got to give it a go probably in more grounds and just just testing it at one ground for example because it might not work at all grounds as well you know that um, dependent on um, size of stadium and stuff so we just need to be a little bit aware and and, and I'm more conscious about teams like like what Luke said, their Cambridge um Teams who are struggling for money, you know that.
3: that yeah. Forget well, Middlesbrough.
1: You know, I'm not saying Middlesbrough are struggling for money and and things, but for me, a thousand fans um, at the Abbey Stadium would make a huge difference for Cambridge United, having 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 that kind of revenue coming through the door. So.
3: Well, they're straight Rob uh, Boyle has just said and said in the chat uh, chat the breaking news: Merthyr Town have suspended their entire season um, because of the current situation. I know Mirtha went into local lockdown today, but like a, a club the size of Merthyr who've already, you know, Merthyr Town is the kind of reborn version of Merthyr Tidville after they went uh, belly up. Um, that's, you know, for the for the fans of that of Merthyr, that's a frightening situation because you struggle to see how a club that size is going to survive the whole season. Like what, what what's being played? One, two games maybe at the most? Yeah. Um, that's, you know, I struggle to see how they'll survive that. I've got to be honest. Um okay, um oh, I gotta ask this question now, uh Luke, just because it is an absolute humdinger to get us in the get us in the mood for questions from the live chat. Um Donna Perry, she pops in once a week, drops a question and then disappears. <laughs> drops
1: a, she drops a bomb. She drops a bomb yeah. and then leaves.
3: So she says, uh Luke, did Andy Campbell uh Andy Campbell, Andy Cole? and Teddy sharing and really not talk to each other off the pitch? And if so, what was the reason?
0: They didn't. I never, ever saw Teddy and Coley speak to each other off the pitch. They That's were the absolutely fine on the pitch, but I've, I've no idea what the reason is behind it. I don't know if many people did. There obviously was something there, but I've That's no incredible. idea what it was. But I never... Like you'd see they'd sometimes celebrate together. Teddy had certainly set... Coley up for a fair few goals throughout their time there, but there was—I think there was an underlying issue. But
1: no, I don't know. No one knows what why. it is. Does, it, um, does, it, does that just show though, the professionalism though from the two oh, players? God, because I you know that so. you know what I mean—that we've all been at football clubs where we uh, we don't get on with everybody. You know what I mean? There's, there's, it's very rare that you can you can probably have close friends at football clubs because it's all quite cutthroat. But um, it just shows those two, especially how how professional they were.
0: Yeah. The manager as well, obviously, signed Andy Cole first, then he signed Teddy Sheringham. I'm sure yeah. the amount of background check that used to go into finding what sort of people these guys were, just as much as a the player they were, they must have known that there was a, a situation there, I would imagine. But like you say, it, uh, it didn't really make a difference to uh, the success no. of the club at the time.
3: Um, Rob Boyle also asked, uh, just because just Teddy Sheringham's come up, he said, um, what was it like playing with Teddy Sheringham?
0: Teddy Sheridan was the, my favourite player to play with. Scholes was the best player I ever played with, but for me as a wide man, Sheridan was a dream, really. If you could play it around the corners into his feet, you could give him a dodgy pass, but he'd somehow manage to control it, and he'd always give you a great through ball. Or If you wanted to come inside and play one twos, he was an absolute dream to play with. I was lucky to, enough to play with him at Man United and at West Ham, and he was an absolute. Like such a clever player, it was um, incredible,
3: sensational. It was different class wasn't he? You know, what I, mean? I
1: mean, imagine if, imagine if he had the pace that other people had. You know that he that, that was for me the only thing that he was lacking. You know what I mean? He had everything upstairs. He had the great feet. He had the goals. He was great in the air. He could hold the ball up like you say round the corners, one touch, two touch. He was he was a joy to watch. You know, what I mean? he must have been a phenomenal player to play with. But you know what I mean? Imagine if he had that yard of pace that he could get away from people. You know what I mean? He would have just been the all-round perfect player. Yeah, you'd sometimes think if he had that, would he have had
0: all the other stuff? Because he would have had to work as hard to be as yeah. good at everything else. But like you say, if he did have everything else, hand in pace,
1: yeah. I don't
0: think it would have been many but, better than him.
1: Like you say, Luke, you know that, that that for me, I like the way that he drops into that ten. You know what I mean? That he he didn't have the pace to go running behind, so he had the clever thinking and the clever thought process to get himself in the in the ten area to cause problems in between the, the midfield and the defence, and and he was just undefendable. You know, he was he got in those areas, which he do, used to do all the time. Even even from crosses, he'd always pull pull off to the six-yard box, the 18-yard box. No one would ever mark him. No one would ever work it out. And he just, he made a career out of doing it all of the time. And no one ever got wise to it. And I never, I never really understood why. They're just so clever in his sort of awareness of where to be, who he was playing against. I think
0: he was quite studious of the game of knowing what made another centre-half struggle, knowing their strengths and weaknesses, where he needed to be to to make their life hard and he was so clever such a clever player yeah
3: great that um and just very very quickly i just want to go back to what we were just talking about there about clubs surviving um mirtha town's statement on it they have um, pulled out of the season because if they played they would go bust by uh, or the budget the playing budget would run out by late november without fans in the stadium so they've completely binned off their season that is sensational uh, uh, well, this and unbelievable. Is, this is
1: serious, isn't it? This is serious, isn't it? You know, that we I know we I know we have on it, we don't have on. I know we go on, on about Berry a lot because obviously Berry's the the example that we, we try and hope that never happens again, Luke, don't we? That um you know, I mean you've played at Gig Lane quite a few times been been at United and for me I made my England debut there for the for the eighteens. I made I made a, a cup game for Middlesbrough and the Coca-Cola Cup for there against Berry. it was always a lovely ground that I always enjoy playing there. And for me, when that went bust, it, it left a, a horrible taste in my mouth that that these kind of owners don't really have a care for the football club. They're in it for themselves. The, the players don't are just a number. Um, the fans don't really care about. And I just hope this doesn't happen again to anybody else because 92 Football League clubs, you know what I mean? We need to keep as many as we can because, you know what I mean, the, it's 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 so important. It's not about the Premier League and the Championship anymore. It's about everybody else. The FA Cup's so special to me and we need all the clubs we can, we can keep hold off.
0: Yeah, definitely. Don't want to see anyone sort of go to the wall like Barry have. It's, it's heartbreaking, really. Yeah. Obviously, the amount of games that I've played there for mm. Man United reserves, probably more than I played for the first team over there. But it's, it's so sad to see for any club because that's the the life and soul of football, isn't it? Them lower mm. leagues and it it, it mm. is like you mentioned there. It's not just the Premier League and the Championship. It's them ninety two clubs. Obviously, the non league circuits going mm. through. Yeah, huge times you mentioned Murphy there that are pulling out a season. It is it's scary, scary times, and it all comes from. No one knows what's happening at the moment. It's so much mm. confusion. It is lower league football, like the non-league stuff, going to be able to carry on when the latest announcements come out? So it's all it's yeah. all mixed up at the moment, and hopefully we'll um,
1: we'll get through mm. it soon. Yeah,
0: well, I, I think, just don't think it's list. going to
3: be there. So I don't it. think they'll be the last team, will they? That's we've had
1: we've had a we've had a big uh, well, we've had big debates on here about uh, about the EFL and for me the EFL have, have handled things so badly you know what I mean that, that the championships like to carry on and league 1 and league 2 don't don't finish and you know I mean, certain clubs have been promoted on the playoffs you know, it's points per game you know what I, mean? I still listen look I I'm I'm quite good at maths I really enjoy maths but I still can't work out these points per game. I still can't work out how, yeah. how Ipswich or Sunderland didn't get in the playoffs, but and and Wigan Wanderers ended up in the Championship. It didn't really work out for me. But hey ho, I'm good friends with Gareth Ainsworth, so I'm quite pleased with a couple of their players. It's it's that, that that's worked out a little bit. But when you see big football clubs and and you know what I mean, I I listened to the Port Vale chairman uh, or chairwoman, isn't she? and she, and she was on about. Um, that she just couldn't afford to keep the club going for the rest of the season, and they had a chance to get promoted, and it has a huge impact on football clubs and, and fans and, and players. Because as a player, you know yourself, Luke, that you want to. Some players want to go through the leagues, or they want to get promoted, they want a winners' medal, they want to. They might have been out of contract, and they want to go at the championship. And it's these are getting robbed of these these once in a lifetime opportunities. Unfortunately.
0: Yeah, it's it's scary. Time you don't. You don't know what's gonna happen. Obviously we spoke about the fans not in the crowd. It's such a daunting time for players as well. Is there money there for contracts? Are they gonna be not yeah. being able to find another club? It is it's an awful situation, not just for football, for no for the whole world in general. Society, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not it's not great.
3: Indeed. Um okay then Luke, we're gonna we're gonna move on to you now, mate. Uh so, just before we kind of delve into your career, I'd like to know, what is your earliest football memory? Uh, whether it be watching, playing, whatever it may be.
0: I think my earliest memory would be playing out in the garden with my brother and dad on the day of the, the 1987 FA Cup final where Coventry played Spurs. It was an incredible game. and I think I remember back
1: then the Cup final day was the whole day that Program ah, used to start. Don't like look. Getting ex- I'm, get- I'm getting excited just mm-hmm. listening about it. That, <laughs> yeah. that, that was the game. That was the game with Keith Houghton got the diving header. Uh, diving header. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. it. So i, I spoke I spo- I spo- to Keith about that. About because yeah. he's, he's from Middlesbrough. So I've spoken oh, okay. about that. Yeah. So that was probably the
0: earliest memory that I've got of of watching football because had the old celebrity game used to be on before. Then the build up to the main game and that used to come on and I'd It was a real sunny day as FA Cup final day usually is and outside just playing in the garden and that was probably my my earliest memory because there certainly weren't as much um, football on TV back then than there is now, that's for sure. That's probably the only game that was on all season.
1: Yeah, I think it was and I totally agree, totally agree. Uh, Who did you grow up supporting Luke? Cambridge United, was a massive Cambridge United fan, they were the first. era-wise, are we talking Deion
0: Dublin? So, when I first went, it was the club was struggling. So, that that was the likes of sort of Lindsay Smith, David Crown. I don't know if you've heard yeah, of it. Yeah I, do, yeah, I But when I really got into it, it was yeah. the best years of Cambridge United's history. So, the likes yeah. of Deion Dublin, John yeah. Taylor, John Vaughan, Liam mm. Dice. It was an incredible team that nearly got up to the Premier League. Two games away from being in the inaugural Premier League season. Yeah.
1: So it was, wasn't, um, wasn't, wasn't of a story. Didn't, didn't the manager used to throw cold water at the players? Is that... Yeah, that was John Beck. He was a bit John of a, Beck, yeah. a
0: bit of a maverick. I think they used to. they used to be a long ball team, so used to grow the the pitch a bit longer in the corners, bit of sand Jeez. there, and Jeez. getting the ball in the channel. It, yeah, it certainly worked. It's Got up the leagues, but it was um, exciting football to watch. They so used to just get it wide and loads of ball in the box to big Dion and John Taylor, and it was exciting oh. football. I really enjoyed it.
1: Well, do you know what, what what you say there, though? You know what I mean. But it's it's effective football, you know that. That, that we had a conversation on Friday about uh, teams who persist with this four two three one, and it's just it's continuous. But it's it's easy to defend sometimes when you when you've got two centre forwards like that, and you've got two out and out wingers of a four four two, and then you've got set pieces with big Liam days coming forward. You know what I mean? It must have been a, a nightmare for defenders to even think about, never mind play against. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of goal mouth action. The ball used to be. In the box a lot of the time, like you
0: say, play for set place pieces. Real big, strong, powerful team, and it was um, a yeah. it was a roller coaster. Few years, FA Cup quarter final twice. Trip to Highbury, got Dion scored at Highbury, got beat two one, and then Crystal Palace at the Abbey Stadium. Alan Pardew scored the winner for, for Palace mm-hmm. that day. So it was um that was why I fell in love with football was watching yeah. Cambridge United and just sort of. The success they were having at the time, as well, obviously helped, and it was a fantastic
1: time to be a Cambridge I think that, fan. I think, though, when you see when you see a history like that, and you see some of the players that have gone through, and you see the moves that they got. Obviously, Dion got a, got himself a good move and a good career, and uh, but he never forget his roots, and he always spoke well about Cambridge, and it put them on the map a little bit, didn't it? You know, and I think um, the stadiums become notorious for little stories or good cup runs or players, ex-players who played at a, a good level, and it's it's good for the... Good for the city. It's great for the football club and the memories and the fans because people never forget Luke, do they? No, no. They're the
0: people still talk about them days to day. When you're at the stadium, there's still photos of that team, that fantastic team that got two two promotions and into the playoffs in the, the what would be the championship now in the FA Cup runs. It is it's full of history. It's a fantastic little football club that's got like every club has. It's got great moments in
1: history that will yeah. that will never be forgotten. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, you spoke about your your dad and your brother there. Um, so, um, obviously, that was your first memory. But who had the most? Who had the most influence during your early part and then towards the start of your career? Um,
0: it's hard to say, really. I think obviously playing with my brother. He was a couple of years older, so playing with him in the garden a lot when I was a kid. Foot organized football didn't start until under nine, so I started playing for the local village team called Melbourne Tigers. It was. I wouldn't say there was any real one person that influenced me. I think it was more from that experience of going to watch live football at Cambridge United that made me fell in love with the game, Then I just wanted to to do it for myself, for it, or just play myself because I loved it. I just loved. I probably spent the most amount of football playing out in the garden on my own, just practicing new skills and kicking the ball in a little plastic goal. And that was the real memories that I've got of of growing up and playing football.
1: So, who did you want to be then, Luke? Because obviously, obviously, uh, people who uh, people have obviously seen you play and seen you dribbling with the ball and seen you the way that you played with your underbox skills there. So, who did you want to be when you were older? Who did you base your game around? Because obviously, you know what I mean when I was when I was younger, I seen I was my big idol was Bernie Slaven used to score goals, jump on the hole, get and celebrate, and I just always wanted to do that. It didn't matter how I scored. I, I was offside like Bernie quite a lot. But who did you base your game on? I think I always used to just sort of.
0: Fantasize about being the Cambridge players. So all the, I just sort of had the team memorized off by heart, and I'd play the game <laughs> in my back garden, and I'd be commentating in my head who's got the ball, then I'd change it slightly so I was in that team. So Dion might have passed it out to Chadwick, and then I'd sort of go and score all the goals. So it was, <laughs> it, it was always the fantasy was always sort of to play for Cambridge is what I used to to go to bed dreaming about. My mum used to have the old. Um, football pools stuck to the back of the back of the fridge and I used to be an addict on teletext so I'd learn all the players names on teletext and just playing all these different games that run the football pool so it was, um, I wouldn't say there was one particular player, I remember being sort of mesmerised as a six year old in the 1986 World Cup with obviously Diego Maradona who ended up breaking every Englishman's yeah. heart with the, mm. the handball but then the, I still sort of watched that goal to this day. The other goal where he dribbled through the whole team and went past Peter Shilton and tapped it in the goal. So it was, um, mm. he was obviously a, a big star back then. But I don't think there was it, many other players apart from the Cambridge ones because I didn't see it that much on telly because they just weren't,
1: I sort of just learnt the players' names off teletext but didn't really see them play that much. <laughs> nice quality. So did I see you grinning there when uh, when Luke said that he broke his heart when Maradona scored that goal?
3: I don't know what you mean, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I had the uh, goosebumps on the back of my neck just <laughs> thinking about it. I uh, love it. No, love it's because it. he, he's one of my heroes, mate, Maradona. He's one of my yeah. Only because he scored against grew, England twice. No, no, he's a legend, mate. He's um, I grew growing up, I was obsessed with Maradona and Pele. Like I used to watch VHSs of them both. And just I repeatedly like I just could I used to try and copy all their tricks. Now you're sure
1: you shown
3: your by the way. VHS, well, beat him, Max, on it. Yeah, <laughs> I used to, but I used to. I also used to copy where like where they used to get fouled, and like get up and try and keep running, or where they would push players off. We were trying to two foot them and stuff. And I think that's a lost art these days because mm. players obviously go down, you know, from the slightest of touches. Whereas like when I was growing up, and I'm sure the same for you guys, you you would do anything you could to stay on your feet, keep hold of the ball, because you wanted to score. It's, it's, it's bizarre. I, think,
1: I think the tackles I think the tackles back when we played and certainly back when they played were a lot worse than they are oh, now, you, God, know? Much are protected, worse. you know. That you see Messi getting fouled all the time. You know what I mean? He's getting fouled but a lot of them are tactical. Yeah. You know what I mean? Some of the tackles, Not many like, nasty like, like, ones, is there? Uh, Luke, Luke being a right winger. Stuart Peters, you know, that's doesn't get any harder than that when you play against someone like Stuart Pearce and no. Nigel Winterburn. Those kind of players, they're not there to be nice to you. They're there to hurt you, and they in the nicest possible way. By the way, you know and sure. They do, and they do it because it's their job. Because they want to be the best they can be. Well, back
3: in the day, right. they did try and hit you, didn't they? You know, they would yeah. like yeah. they were trying to take Maradona and Pele out of the game rather Ooh. than a tactical foul to break up play. Um, yeah. On the subject of bad tackles, Rob Boyle asked Luke uh, on a scale of one to ten how much of a Uh, so-and-so was Roy Keane.
0: Roy Keane was the ultimate captain. He was um, an incredible leader who demanded incredible standards. So I remember, obviously, as a young player at Man United, if you gave the ball away in training, he'd call you every name under the sun and you'd think, oh my God, what what am I into here? But off the pitch, it explained why he'd done it, saying that this is what's required to play a a club like this. So, whereas I'm sure you've had that, Andy, when you've played through with players throughout your career who just continually moaned at you or moaned at other players and you sort of lose a bit of respect for them because that's all they do. But in terms of Roy Keane, you had the ultimate respect for him because he'd do it every day. He'd put in an incredible performance every day and he'd tell you why he was calling you every name under the sun because he wanted you to be better and he wanted you to... Be able to survive at that at that level of play, really. So he was incredible, an incredible man. But we used were to have you, a little... um...
3: Sorry, go on, go on. You carry on, mate.
0: It, like me and the other young lads used to hope and pray that when we played small-sided games that we weren't on his team. <laughs> if you lost, you was in for it for the rest of the day, really.
3: <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, Luke. Were you were you there when he had when he fought when he did that tackle on uh, uh Harland? Were you still there then? Yeah, so
0: I actually started that game. That was a, I started that Manchester derby at, at Old Trafford. And incredibly enough, I didn't drive at the time. And Roy Keane picked me up to take me to the game. So, and wow. I had to wait for him. He went missing after the tackle. And I didn't see him for hours. And I was just waiting around in <laughs> Old Trafford because I couldn't get home. That he just appeared from nowhere. But it was certainly a,
3: Incredible. a,
0: quiet, a quiet car ride home. Because obviously Did- it was an awful challenge.
3: Yeah, did he ever like say, like, because I've ne- I was looking the other day to try and find like a you know like an interview about it and maybe him discussing it, and I couldn't really find anything where he kind of goes into it in detail. I know in his book he talks about the fact that when he did broke uh, when he's- when Roy Keane did his cruciate ligaments, uh, Harland had basically told him he was diving and to get up, and it kind of stemmed from that. But I'd never heard Roy Keane talk about it in an interview. Since the tackle, um so I was just kind of really wondering like the insight into it, and if he had said anything further after it to the team or to the you know to you guys because it was a shocker
0: yeah he never never mentioned it i don't think he's ever sort of i, I do know on the footage when Roy does his cruiser at Ellen Road you can see sort of Harlan sort of Roy Keane's in agony and he's over obviously it doesn't deserve to get a tackle like that but i've I've no idea. If he regrets it, or if it was something he wished yeah. he, he hadn't had done, but it's it's just
1: a shocking tackle.
3: You're, you're muted, and
1: I don't think he will. I think he's that kind of person who's
3: who's sticks just, by his, uh, um, his things, doesn't he? Yeah. It, Good it, and listen, bad.
1: listen. You know, I mean, for what happened, by the way, you know what I mean? It's not nice, you know what I mean? I think he saw when he did his cruise shirt, Healer. He remembered that, and every yeah. every day through his rehab, he he remembered uh, that moment and relived that moment, and and it happens with players You always remember certain things, and and unfortunately, you know what I mean. He's he's reacting in a way which wasn't very professional, but he's done it because that's what he believed was right.
3: Yeah, there's um there's a bit of misinformation about that as well. Uh, people say that uh, that tackle ended Alfie uh, Harland's career. It, it didn't end his career. He played again after that. I don't think he was ever the same. I got to say. But it didn't end his career, as I think many people do think that it did. It was uh, not a, you know, not a great tackle. Let's be honest, no, it wasn't. No. Um, um, go on, and I, I, you go.
1: I'd like to, uh, I'd like to ask, Luke, about Man United because we're talking about Man United now. So obviously, it's it's a quick transition, to to talk about United. And uh, and obviously, you you were born in Cambridge, but then signed and played for Man United. So how did that come around? Because you know, what I mean, it's obviously a. Um, it must be a, a wider range of scout next work. Now I'm guessing they're all over the world and they're all over they're all over the UK. But how did uh, your move um, and your transition to United come around? I think it was playing, you were probably the same, at playing schools football as a kid.
0: So for the area yeah. team, I'd play for Cambridge schools on a Saturday morning. And I'd also was at Arsenal at the time. So played for the Arsenal Centre of Excellence on a Sunday. But... Back then, I'm sure you'll agree, it's probably the school's football was probably more competitive than yeah, playing for a yeah,
3: very professional
0: club. So it was off the back of that where I was scoring quite a lot of goals for the for my town team against teams in London, teams in the Midlands. So I forged a bit of a reputation, and it was a a Man United scout come and watched me play for for Cambridge, done quite well, and invited me up to to Manchester for a week's trial. And it was off the back of that that I ended up signing for the club. As a
1: schoolboy. How did how did that feel, Luke? Because it doesn't get any bigger than Man United, you know, that that, that that when you'd have gone there for the week, obviously the um going from going from the level you were playing at to the level then that you were training with and obviously the training ground of Lavina Carrington and which is just at the time was the, the the place to go and play, you know what I mean. I remember I went there as a um as a schoolboy to play um to play Certain friendly games against, uh, I think it was like a trio round robin sort of thing, and it was just immaculate training ground. And that was the that was the that was the highest standard at the time. So, what was it like to to have the facilities? What they had? Yeah, it's obviously amazing. I think originally going up there, I was a real
0: quiet, shy, nervous boy. So it was such a a big thing for me to go up there. I didn't really like playing for Arsenal that much. I, I was so much more comfortable with my own peers, with my own friends that I could just. Yeah express myself with at the same time at that period man united was like the utopia of kids foot like all the best kids would end up going to united like they'd pick them from around the country so it was sort of filled with excitement and trepidation when i first went up to manchester but the second i stepped in there i'd never experienced a sort of an environment like it everyone seemed so pleased to see you everyone was so enthusiastic about you i just Fell in love with the place the second I stepped yeah. in there, and then when they signed me, I was always going to sign for them because it was such a—it yeah. was like a Disneyland for a young footballer yeah. to play at where well, it was. It was incredible,
1: absolutely incredible. You just said something interesting there, Luke, and I, I just want to touch on it if you don't mind. That you said that you felt more comfortable with your peers and your friends uh, than you did obviously when you were Man United. So what? What was that? Was that was that a confidence issue? Did you not have the? Did you not have the confidence levels when you walked in? Because I'd say I say I remember you. Obviously, growing up with you as a, as a as a young lad when you were coming through United, and and every time that you that you walked across that white line, so to speak, your confidence levels just seemed to change, and you were a different person on that pitch than you are off the pitch. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, yeah. I think just
0: as a person in general. Not. I was just like even at school, I was like a quiet, real quiet kid until I got to know everyone. I was really. I had to be comfortable in my environment to really express myself. So I never. At Arsenal, it was um, obviously a wonderful football club, but I never felt that at home there. At Manchester United, I sort of felt at home straight away and felt part of it and part of what was going on. So it was completely it was strange, really, but I felt so much more confident at Man United than I ever did at, at Arsenal, really. It was um,
1: just how I was, a strange strange young boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, you've seen, well, probably... Hundreds of players come through United. You know what I mean. Loads of quality. You know what I mean. The first teams won trophy after trophy. You know what I mean. World class footballers. How tough was it to um, to establish yourself and be and, and 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 get where you wanted to be at a club like like United?
0: That's a tough question. I never, even when I moved up to Manchester as a 16 year old, I never thought I'd play for the first team. Like I saw the players ahead of me, I knew that it was. Um, a wonderful opportunity for me that I could I couldn't turn down to even have, to spend two years there. So it was when I got in and around the first team, it was it was mad really because I never I weren't like thinking I'm going to play regular I'm not going to be getting a team before Gigs or Beckham or anything like that. I just felt so privileged and happy to be there and to be working with these players every day. It was such a whirlwind. The season that I really spent around the first team, it was sort of pinch yourself every day because you're going into to train with some of the best players in the world day in day out. It was um, an incredible experience that I, when I look back on now, it does it does feel like it was sort of such a dream, such a whirlwind that happened.
1: It's funny that because we had uh, we had John O'Grin in on uh, the show, uh, well, quite a while ago now, and and John O said the same thing that John O was um, obviously at York City and. Obviously, the move um, he thought he was going to go to Tottenham Hospital, didn't didn't materialise, uh, and then he got an opportunity to go to Man United. Um, went there with his with his parents and and just signed on the spot because he said it's too too much of a good opportunity to turn down, and, and he wasn't going to let that opportunity just pass him by because you only you only get one opportunity in football, Luke, don't you? And and for those moments and those 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 chances that you've got to take him with both hands. Yeah, definitely. Obviously,
0: Jono's a great lad and had a brilliant career, and it's like it's like he would have gone up had the opportunity to play for Spurs, but probably similar to me. As soon as you step into Manchester United, it's got a bit like a drawer around it. Like, obviously, the manager's got such an aura. The whole club feels such a a special place and a a wonderful history, a wonderful environment. And to to have any part of that history, only only myself, a tiny, tiny part of it, but to have have been involved in the club at all, it, it still feels to me now... However, many years after, 20 odd years after, such
1: a, a privilege to have been part of it. Um, obviously, um, being at United, obviously, you, you, you want to play more games, and then obviously, you've, you've got opportunities too. Uh, and we spoke, I know we spoke off air about how important loan moves are to players. Uh, they were to me personally. I know you've had your fair share uh, during your career, but I, I want to touch on uh, Royal, Ant- Royal Antwerp because. Obviously, being an outsider looking in at United, that, that, that the, the link was there because a lot of United players went over to Belgium um, to play. So, was that? did you go over there on your own? Was it a natural progression? Was the United coaches over there? How did it all work? So, I think it it weren't planned at all. I, I had a
0: really good two years as a scholar at, at Man United and probably expected to sign a professional contract, probably coming back after the summer break, to be a first year professional. I was probably expected to be around the first team or touch on the first team. But obviously I'd signed a professional contract. So I had a bit more money in my pocket. And I went and had a really good summer away from football and probably didn't treat myself as well as I should. And when I went back to the club, I weren't in any condition to compete. I thought I was Billy really big time back in the little village rather <laughs> in Cambridge, sort of giving it big big licks around the town and it my attitude was all wrong and I come back and I was miles away from the first team. So the club sort of needed to, wanted to get some first team football into me. And when the chance came up to go to Belgium, I was absolutely buzzing. I went on, they flew me over to a game and they were playing a, a top top team in the cup and the, the atmosphere was absolutely electric. There was all smoke bombs in the crowd, like it was a proper... European Amazing. atmosphere and I, I was absolutely buzzing to get back there and start playing there was another two lads there that were my age and my youth team that I was really close with as well so it made me settle really quickly and it was a wonderful experience both as a life experience and obviously a football experience as well and it was I absolutely loved being in Belgium it was an incredible time for me.
1: You can only uh, obviously a l- a look at the facts um, and obviously the the, the the stats and and the stats are, are very very interesting and obviously you, you must have enjoyed your football because you scored some goals you, you know what I mean you played plenty of games and um, and obviously different styles of football is it is it, is it more technical than, the, 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 than than the football you just left or what kind of football was it and did it suit your game? It suited my game in the fact that I was so different to what what Belgian football was. It
0: was a lot slower in terms of. Teams would stay on the ball for, for long periods of time and it was quite tactical and it was played. But I used to just play in a certain way like I did when I was at United, where every time I'd get the ball, I'd just try and run as fast as I could towards the other team's goal, which other teams weren't used to in, in the league that I played in Belgium. So I got a huge amount of success, scored a few goals. a crowd really took to me, which obviously gave me huge confidence as a young player playing his first Ever first team games, and I've got seven, eight, nine thousand Bel- maniac Belgian fans singing my name. So it gave me a huge amount of confidence, and I've, it was um, it really made me. I think I think if that lone move gave me loan move gave me the confidence to believe that I could be a footballer. Although a big ask to go and be a like a mainstay in the the Manchester
1: United team. You, you just and said there. Sorry, safe. Si. Um, you just said there. How 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 important is supporters to give you confidence? You know, I mean, I know how how important they were for me, and how probably still hearing good things is nice to hear. But when you play in at certain clubs, so like Antwerp, for example, how important were the fans to give you that belief in yourself?
0: I think hugely hugely important as a, as a young player that I was, and I think as you get older, you sort of realise that the uh, after fans are going to think you're rubbish and hopefully i <laughs> maybe less than that think you're quite good. So it was, um, but at that young age of, of first coming through, it, it meant so much. And it was such a buzz to to hear that and to know that you were one of the most popular players. It, it, it really did give me huge amount of confidence.
3: Um, So, Luke, I was going to uh, just kind of ask if there was a moment during that period where, you really made a decision that you were going to, like maybe you needed to move from United or if there was a particular kind of game or period where you just thought, no, I'm going to have to go or did you always believe in yourself and your ability and that, you know, you thought you would eventually make that kind of break into the first team?
0: I think during the the season, when I come back from Antwerp and there was a season where I, I played, well, I didn't play a huge amount but came off the bench, I was sort of thought I was comfortable here. I was making a good impact in training. I was coming off the bench and making a good impact in games and sort of went through that season, probably coming to the next season thinking, never thinking, I'm going to take Beckham's place here, but maybe it all gigs his place, but I might get a little bit more game time. I think as that season sort of went on, I started developing some problems with my hips and pelvis, which resulted in me having surgery and probably... The outstanding attribute that I had to my game and the reason why I played first-team games at Manchester United because I was incredibly fast. I could run just as fast with the ball as without it and change direction quickly. I think when I lost a little bit of that, I never had enough other stuff to to go on and be a top player at Man United. I never had what Beckham had where he could, if he weren't getting joy out wide, he'd get it off the centre half and ping a... 70-yard through ball. I never sort of had what Giggs had where if he weren't as quick as a, the fullback, he could come inside and be just as effective sort of playing in central areas. So, I wouldn't... Maybe a bit unfair on myself to call myself a one-two very, pony, but every very,
3: time... Yeah, I think so.
0: Every time I got the ball, what I'd try and do is just run with it. That was, that was my game. And without that, it was plain for me to see in training, I weren't having the effect. In the games, I weren't having the same effect. So, it was... And the manager was completely honest with me and saying, "Without the speed, you you won't be a Man United player. And it's gonna be real tough to be a, a Premier League player." Which is obviously hard to hear, but I could I could see it myself. So then after that, it was a case of trying to find another way. Of the other loan moves to Red in and to Burnley was always just trying to find a way of still being a professional footballer, albeit not at the the same level as what I had at, at Manchester
1: United. Okay. Before we move on to uh, to progress onto your career, I, I obviously would like to speak about um, your goals at United. Um, obviously you, made, you scored you scored two first team goals. Um, tell us about them, Luke. Because obviously you know we we we've, we spoke before about about certain teams that you enjoy playing against. I know you've got um a couple yourself, but tell us you know I mean obviously the, the, the probably the most famous one. Uh, for United, there's obviously the Leeds United goal, which people obviously remember, and it, it always gets shown a lot with the, with the, obviously the rivalry, um, and obviously especially now with Leeds being back in the Premier League and, and United being there, and, and the way that the game was as well, and the way that, that, that things happened, obviously at United at the time. So tell us how um, how how those moments felt for you. Yeah, obviously, you say you see it a lot. That's probably me on my social media. I share it most days. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it's more of it, the celebration, though, Luke, isn't yeah, it? Well, not mean, nothing, nothing ever gets you ready for that moment when you score, score a goal. Yeah, that the, obviously, the Leeds... Got, I scored against
0: Bradford, but the Leeds one was obviously the big one because the yeah. the rivalry was so fierce between the two clubs. I remember coming on at half-time because Nicky Buck got injured. And I still... It was such a a real moment really because Scolese put Ollie clear on the right and he's had like a really weak shot and obviously Nigel Martin was one of the best keepers in the Premier League at the time and I never for a second thought he'd spill it but somehow he's just pushed it out and my eyes have just lit up and the ball's an empty, now, even I can't miss this one, I <laughs> tapped it in and I then just run off like um, like a lunatic just running around and the, the players, I, when I watch it back on the... Um, on the TV or whatever, on the internet, you sort of see as I run away, loads of Leeds fans standing up, shouting all sorts of obscenities at me as I'm (laughs) running around like a lunatic. It was um, without a doubt like the highlight moment of my Manchester United career to score. I remember that that made it 1-0 to us. And for the rest of the game, there was probably about half hour left. I was just sort of hoping and praying that we held on to a 1-0 so I would be credited with scoring the winning goal in such a big game. But...
1: It never happened. I think maduka scored about nine minutes go and broke yeah, he my does. heart. Yeah. But it's those moments though, Luke, isn't it? You know, that that, that those, those those moments in football that nobody can ever take away from you, the proud moments that, that you've scored, at Ellen Road, you've scored for United with that red shirt on, and it's just it's just a, a dream which everybody, you know, a cliche, but uh, you know what I mean? You, you've lived the ultimate dream, you know what I mean, which is just absolutely fantastic to uh, to see. And you know what I mean? it's, it's the joy and the ecstasy in your face, you know what I mean? Because I love to see Players obviously do well. The players that I've played with and uh, and ex-teammates and things, and it's it's just great to see the elation because I always said that I never had a, a planned celebration. Um, and there's only one which I ever did have a planned celebration for, by the way. But even even that went out the window a little bit. That it was just just pure elation, pure madness, <laughs> yeah. pure just me being a bit over the top and a bit daft because <laughs> I just I just wanted to score goals, but I never really thought the the implications and what what followed it. Basically, I just didn't really have a have a plan.
0: Yeah, there's no, there's no better feeling. I mean, I never had a plan because I'm sure you scored a fair few more goals than me. I didn't score that many, but it was just that it's such a incredible feeling scoring a goal in like a a big game. There's no, I mean, I feel it's incredible how some people plan these. Sort of yeah. celebrations because in my head I'm just running off as fast as I can.
1: <laughs> <laughs> which is great. It's absolutely great. Um, obviously, we, we, you touched on yourself about uh, about going to Reading and uh, and having the season at Burnley, which which you uh, you played more or less a full season, scored a few goals, and then a permanent move to um, to London followed suit to uh, to West Ham. I know we've got a few West Ham followers and a few West Ham fans who I'm sure will uh, will get involved and ask you some questions about your time there. I'm sure I've, I've seen a couple. Um, one was about Teddy Sharon, which we have already answered, but obviously from from West Ham point of view. But tell us about your your time at West Ham, uh, Lucas. As as a as an opposing player, every time I played at Upton Park, it was always amazing. The atmosphere was absolutely fantastic. It wasn't a it wasn't a nice place to go to, but I always enjoyed it. You know, it was hostile, but hostile in a nice possible way. Yeah, it
0: was, I was. Um, I loved my time at West Ham. Like I didn't. I wouldn't say that I excelled as a player. I probably, after leaving Manchester United, going red in Burnley, I was always sort of trying to change, transforming the way I played to still be effective and have a career in football where I, like I mentioned before, I weren't really that wide man that could just run past players as easily anymore. So probably spent the next four or five seasons truly trying to change my style of play. But in terms of West Ham as a club, like you say there, the atmosphere is electric particularly under the lights in a night yeah. game i think it was um yeah. we had a really good squad of players that season and probably under underperformed until we got into the playoffs so we probably should have won the league with the squad that was there but in the end just sneaked into the into the back door of the playoffs and then got promoted that way so a lot of the time like you mentioned there it was um and it were really intense Mm. Atmosphere at West Ham and a lot of the time the the fans were on our back quite a lot that season because rightly so we didn't perform. It was um, sometimes a lonely place on that wing when you're giving the ball away yeah. again. What you
1: get, but it was um, what was incredible. it? And Luke was, was it was it the expectation? Then? Was it the expectation of the fans? You know because obviously you know what I mean with the players that you had on the pitch was did you did you then underperform as as a group? I, I'd say yeah. Obviously in the end we got
0: promoted, so you can't say it was an underperformance. But yeah. throughout the season, a lot which of the, is, the time, be, which is
1: Which, Luke, is the best possible way to get promoted, by the way, in the playoffs, if you can guarantee it.
0: Without a doubt, yeah. That sort of And sort of getting in late doors as well. There's, there's nothing better than that. I think um, we did underperform. The club lost in the playoff final the year before. I don't know if you remember against Crystal Palace when Shipley yeah. scored the winner. Yeah. So it was always... Um, from the start of the season, the atmosphere was always a little bit... If we weren't going to get a good start, the, the crowd would turn quite quickly. I think, in the end, Alan Padre, Padre, sorry, deserves so much credit. I've never seen a manager under so much pressure in terms of the fans wanting him out, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and really got on his back. But he came through that, and he won them over. and the, the fans really got behind us in the playoffs against Ipswich, and then the rest is history. I think it was at the Millennium Stadium where... Yeah, Bobby Zamora scored the winner against Preston North End and it was yeah. huge for the club to get back in the Premier League. It was such a a big deal for that to happen. So it was proud to be a part of, I can't say I played a, a huge, huge role in it, but to be in and around the squad for the season was, um, I love my time at West Ham. It, it, it's a proper... But
1: all the clubs I played for a proper football clubs,
0: but West yeah. Ham was. Yeah, yeah, no,
1: I know it's the it's reputation, the history they have. You know that, that it's 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 a massive thing. Obviously, on about goals early on and celebrations early on. I did see. Um, you obviously, you, you scored one goal in the season for uh, West Ham United, and I've seen the goal. I see I watched it today actually. Uh, and your celebration again was quite a similar celebration really to the, to the United goal we've just been talking about. So. Um, am I right in thinking that was Leeds United again? Was it? Was that Leeds again? Yeah, yeah, Leeds again. That was a Friday night game. I remember it oh, was Upton on Sky. And um, yeah,
0: Matty Everington put a cross in it. it. Just and again, it's quite a simple finish from about four or five yards out. But celebrated like I'd scored that goal, like Maradona against
3: England. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and rightly so. Rightly so. He one of yeah. our. He's uh, one of our West Ham fans. West Ham fans, isn't he?
3: Yeah, yeah, I thought you might have one. He asked, uh, "Who's uh, the best player you played with while you were at the Irons?"
1: Again, I'd have to say
0: Teddy. Like even at his later years, this I think mean, so probably about forty, forty-one, but he was still sort of far and away the the best player at the on the pitch most weeks. And he had a fantastic season that season as well. He scored a lot of goals and got a lot of assists as well. He played up top with. Bobby Zamora and Marlon Harewood, who were both fantastic players as well. So there was some. Top players. Mark Noble made his debut that season as well, and you could see from a young age what a what a fantastic player he was going to be, and obviously what
1: a stellar career he's gone on to have at West Ham. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree, and that uh, I think that just shows how old how all we all are. Look, doesn't it that, that yeah. Mark's still 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 playing now and captain in the side? where he's money's he's in the whole club really behind the, behind the behind the scenes, but. Um, no, that's fantastic. And, and you just mentioned some names there. You know, Bobby Zamora leads the line really well. Marlon Harewood, what a what a player! You know, what, I mean? what a player! You know, what I mean? he had he had all the attributes, didn't he? Coming through at Nottingham Forest, signing at West Ham, he was just a, a proper centre forward who every defender must have hated to play against.
0: Yeah, absolute handful. Like pace, power, good finish as well. To be fair to him, him and Zamora, obviously went both went on to have. Good, good Premier League careers. I think well. Samora
3: was one of the most underrated Premier League strikers that there's been. Um, he's right up there. If, if you look at his record and his performances in the Premier League and in the Championship, he's massively underrated, in my opinion. Um, he's all round play as well. I thought he was very, very good. Um, I agree. I agree. we got lots and lots and lots of questions yeah, stacking up.
2: Yeah, Some loads. of
3: them are on the kind of the same subjects. Some of them are on different subjects. Uh, so I'll see if I can pick out a couple now. Let's have a look. What we got. We've done the Roy King one. We're gonna get to that in a minute. Um Mr. Stuart Campbell and his father My says old man. Uh, Does the lack of uh fans in the stadiums favour the away teams? Um
1: I, well, from what I'm watching and what I've seen so far, I, I would probably like to say yes, because I think it's, they're going at the games with no pressure. You know what I mean? Some some grounds, we just spoke about West Ham's ground and um, old ground, by the way. You know what I mean? Some grounds are hostile and they're not a nice place to go to for away teams where at the minute, no atmosphere, there's, there's, no, there's no hostile atmosphere, there's, there's no pressure, and they're going there enjoying it. What about you, Lou? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think there's
0: just no sort of... Advantage now is there? Both no. to, it's just a a fifty fifty chance. I think some teams that like to play on the counter attack. The, the game seems so much more even in terms yeah. of the fans aren't there to to push you on, particularly the like home fans to get have a fast start. It is.
1: Yeah. It's a strange, strange setup. And I'll use I'll use the game on was it was it Saturday after Saturday night? The United United Crystal Palace game. There's there's, there's no way in the world. Crystal Palace would have played like that if. If there were seventy-two thousand United fans there, because no. you know what I mean, they'll have set up differently. They'll have sat back, soaked up the pressure for the first twenty minutes. They wouldn't have got at them like they did in the first seven, eight minutes. There was no way, no way that would happen. And United would have got the boost from the fans to push them onto another level. And that's where that's where the, the big sides are really missing out. They'd have been think. bang up
3: for it as well from the first minute. United first game of the season. The crowd would have been rocking. Um, how you know? However, they were Crystal Palace deserved their victory. I think they were oh, very totally, very good. Totally. I wouldn't be surprised to see Zaha back at United if I'm honest, because uh, they need a right winger, which is mad. Not after yeah, not so. after
1: Patrick Patrice ever Come through, won't
3: be by the way. Well But that's that's the truth though. That, that was that was well known. You don't say that live on Sky
1: Sports, <sighs> yeah. Sky Sports. Well,
3: live game. Everybody knew it, anyway. They knew that's why yeah uh, David Moyes wasn't picking him. So I don't. So I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that on Sky. Like,
2: <laughs> I think what did he say? Of, really?
3: What I did he say? though? he said he didn't play because of there was rumours about him and David Moyes' daughter, was not there? I mean,
1: well, he, he, he used the he used the words he used the words affair. You know what I mean? So I, ah right, okay. You know what I mean? So I think I think there's a. There's a you're opening the can of worms, aren't you, when you say a certain thing? Yeah, of and, course. What you he what should I mean. have
3: said is just said that he wasn't playing for football reasons, maybe, or something like that. And then it's Probably. all right, then, then Everyone knows what the reasons were. But everyone um, loves Patrice ever so you get away with it. Yeah, no one cares what Patrice <laughs> says. He can say what he wants. Um, Mr. Stuart Campbell also asked... Uh, yeah, he, really, he, got, so he, he really said, he is he Legendary questions. He said, Luke, which team in the present Premier League would you suit the most? Or suit your game oh, the most? That's a
1: good question, that. What nah, a question. That is a tough one. Bear in mind, Luke. My dad asks the worst questions on every show. He's pulled out two beauties yes. already.
3: He's, he, acts, he always asks good questions.
1: Beer,
0: I'd, so. I'd probably say Spurs. Oh what? what, what and, and it, it, Jose I at, at me? Um, explain, Luke. Explain. What, at yeah. Me, at me best, which obviously ain't probably at the level of what the Spurs players are now. But the lot. I like the way the way Son makes their movements in behind. And I'd like yeah. to. I think I'd really enjoy playing with Harry Kane as well. I like playing with big strikers that have got good quality that you can play the ball in and they'll hold it up. So I'll probably say Spurs, one of them in the 7'11 or 10 behind um, Kane. I think that would suit me quite well. How
3: um, how tall are you, Luke?
0: I am five 5'11.
3: No, uh, Jose's never playing you, mate. Gotta be 6' <laughs> at least. Gotta be 6' at least. <laughs> otherwise, you ain't getting in. Um, Okay, Andy. I know you have got one uh, one more subject you want to cover before I finish off with uh, some questions and stuff. So yeah, look, I want to
1: focus and and look at um, obviously the most the most games you played in your career was obviously MK Dons. Um, how much did you enjoy that? I loved
0: that. love that MK Dons. I think I was. I went to. I was absolutely delighted when I got the move <laughs> to Norwich. <from>
1: I'm not <laughs> laughing at you. Look, that comment's outrageous. I I by the it, way, that it. comment's outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> I was um,
0: playing up at Stoke and then um, I, went from, sorry, I went from West Ham to Stoke and moved up to Stoke and then my family didn't settle, so they came back down south. So I got a move to Norwich, which I was delighted about, but then got a bad injury in my first game and never really settled. So I sort of got the move to MK Dons, which was quite near where I lived. So my whole time at MK, was I was so settled both on the pitch and off the pitch. I was had good structure to my life. I lived 40 minutes from the training ground so I could live back at home in Cambridge where I grew up. My kids were happy. My wife was happy. It was just um, a real settled period where the MK was a great club. I was always treated so well there. The chairman was a great man. I enjoyed working under all the managers that I worked for there. The fans took to me straight away. Good group of players that I worked with, good lads as well. So it was just a real settled period, which probably told on the pitch in terms of as as consistent as I've as i been, in um in my and career. You all, really. And you
1: also seen the transition, didn't you, of MK? You know that that where the where they are now is just and what and what, the, what they've got now is ridiculous. Yeah, into like the the facilities
0: and whatnot yeah, are incredible. Wise, in, yeah. Incredible stadium. I think that was a big draw to for me to go there. We had a cup game for Norwich, and I was blown away by the stadium. So. When the opportunity went to go there, it was um, a no-brainer. And somewhere just to go, obviously, the level below the Championship. Yeah. And it, I just played every week
1: and thoroughly enjoyed it, really. Ah. Oh. And I also, I want to touch on something before we get some more questions for from the viewers, because obviously, they've, they play a huge part in this show. Yeah. Um, you finished your career at Cambridge, which is obviously a dream come true. I'm guessing, but was that always the plan? Was that something that you'd that you'd always wanted to do, or or, or, or that was the, the 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 ideal way to finish the career? That it was always the plan. I'm really proud of myself that I ended up
0: doing it. I, obviously, I was still not playing. I was getting older. I knew I was getting a bit older. I was still an important yeah. player in the squad at MK, but I went and spoke to Carl Robinson and Gary Waddock at the time and told them about my history told them what my dream was to play for Cambridge and they the club supported me so much in terms of going there so I actually made contact with Cambridge and sort of told them look I'm a big fan of the club this is what I want to do and fortunately they went with the idea and it was um like a dream come true to to play Mm. there like I said I used to fantasize going to bed as a kid Mm. at night about scoring a goal up the Newmarket Road end which I managed to do so I'm I'm in an incredibly privileged position yeah. to say that
1: I actually lived my dream out. So it was a um, story. something I'm really proud of. What a story. What a story that is. What an amazing story and where to finish. My last question on that then is, was it everything and more to play for your hometown club? It it was mad. Like I've never felt like that on a football field
0: before. I felt so like when I got going, I was fine. But when I scored the goal, I went and sort of scored up the Newmarket Road end, like behind one of the goals where I used to stand when I was a teenager, and sort of went over there, celebrating in front of the crowd. And then the lads jumped to me. And then when I was walking back to the the centre circle, I'm not even an emotional guy at all. I'm quite sort of straight laced. But I was, and I nearly started crying. I was, sort of, <laughs> I started welling up inside. It was such a the weirdest and most incredible feeling I've ever had on a football pitch throughout my whole my whole life, really. It was, um, it was everything and more without a shadow of a doubt. Good
1: luck. Shows you're human, mate, I guess. That shows you're human. (laughs) We're not all robots. are we when we play football, (laughs) we're all be human.
3: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. um, So look, I just wanted to finish off um, as part of Ace Podcast Nation. We do a lot of um, different shows. One of the shows, a series we do is mental health. And we're also bringing uh, mental health in sport uh, series two back uh, in a week or two. Um, and I wanted to talk to you just briefly about this to finish the show. Uh, it's something which you've discussed uh, in you know in public. You've discussed in various interviews um, about the struggles that you suffered with your mental health and uh, d- due to generally to abuse uh, from people. In particular, I think the thing which stands out for people is the the show which was on BBC. Uh, they think it's all over. Um, and I kind of just really, I was wondering if you had heard from people like Nick Hancock, uh, Gary Lineker and people like this since you came out and kind of said, no, hang on a minute, I was not OK with this stuff.
0: Yeah, the, all them guys have apologised. I, I I think a, so much was made of that. I think it, it maybe missed the original point of what I was saying. And don't get me wrong, I never thought it'd go as sort of far as what it did in terms of the attention it got what the point that i was making in terms of the situation that we were all going through in lockdown with everyone's mental health i'm sure everyone's would be fluctuating up and down in such a strange surreal situation was to to talk about your problems if you've got problems you feel low the best way to get out of that is to talk about it to find someone to talk to something that i didn't do at that time when i was going through these struggles because of things that were said about the way I looked to my appearance. And that was the point of what I was saying was trying to be a positive message of if you've got a problem, talk about it because it's like a weight oh, off okay. your shoulder. I think in terms of they think it's all over Nick Hancock, I've got no hold, no grudge to these people whatsoever. It's something that happened 20 years ago on a TV show. So it was, yeah. it's not as if I was ever looking for an apology. It was more, a message that I was trying to say about how I could have dealt with my problems better
3: back okay.
0: in that time. So that, that's what I was trying to say. So it's, I don't want to sort of bring up Nick Hancock Yeah, no. Like, there's no issue there whatsoever.
3: No, I mean, for me, um, I wondered about it because, like, obviously you would, like you just said there, you didn't feel like you had dealt with your mental health, like side of it at, properly or not properly, that's the wrong word. But, you know, as well as you could have at the time. Um, and for me, like, in TV shows like that, you know, where where the, the general gist of it is poking fun at sportsmen, etc., I think, like, if you're poking fun at, um, like, you know, ability or, like, misses or, you know, bloopers, gags, whatever it may be, I think that's alright, but I feel like they crossed the line a bit and it was kind of, it was week in, week out, Um So it must have been a very difficult period for you. Like there's loads of questions and comments about this in the chat. But I just wanted to read you a couple of the kind of nice comments to finish because people have been filling the chat up on the various platforms of just really nice comments just about you and the like how you've come across. Uh, so Donna said, um, Luke, I saw your interview on BBC Breakfast News during the first lockdown. Uh was shocked about what you went through. You come across then and now so bubbly and smiley. It must have been a very small minority. Um, um, what else do we say? I'm trying to find it because...
1: On, on, be- on, that, on that point, though, yeah, i on that point, um, obviously, that, that show was... Um, they think it's all over or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. It was called back in the day. So you, you've got one now, what is um, James Corden's A League of Their Own. Yes. They, they still do it now with yeah. certain, certain individuals, certain people, and uh, to each other. And it's it sells, doesn't it? It sells and makes TV. Of course you know what it I mean? Does. And, and unfortunately, unfortunately, you know what I mean, um, until somebody makes a bigger thing of it, and until, until somebody speaks out, and if that's Luke over social media... Um, or Luke coming over uh, and doing uh, interviews, you know what I mean? Because like Luke just said there, the the things that everybody's had to deal with over the last um, you know what, six, seven months or whatever, we, however long this has been going on, that it's played a huge part in everyone's life and we've all probably found things that we've not dealt with properly and probably looked when we've had loads of time to ourselves, sat at home with kids and with family and, and, and thought about mistakes that we've made in our life, uh, things that we could have done better. Um, and that's you know what I mean. That's with, with with your own children, with 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 other people, and mistakes we've made, and and I think that's also other people have done it. You know what I mean. So for people yeah. to come out and apologise, um, you know what I mean. And as, yeah, long, as, I the, mean, as long as you I know, said which, that which at is, the start, didn't I, about yeah, apologising and learning from mistakes, which is which which is great. But for me, you know what I mean. Certain things should never really happen in the first place, in my opinion. Yeah. But as long as See, Luke's comfortable and happy with, with with the way that they've dealt with it, then.
3: Yeah, of course, um, and it's a person. You know, it's a personal thing, isn't it? For me, like I like kind of like edgy comedy, etc., etc. Um, however, I do feel in shows like uh, they think it's all over, or the League of Their Own, things like this. I do feel like the person who they're making fun of has got to be in on the joke. If they're not in on the joke, so if they say just using you as an example, Luke. Sorry, but like if say if you had gone on the show. Um, and they had made some sort of joke whatever it may be and you were all right with it and you were in on the joke you were laughing and joking along with it then that's all right for me because you're happy with it you're comfortable with it whereas if you go on there and they won't say those jokes because you're there then that's where like there's a problem for me then because they're i don't know how to word it and i get my words kind of twisted up but what I mean is like there's room for comedy and there's room for kind of poking fun at people but it's got to be done in the right way in a light-hearted way and I feel like with that example that I feel like they went too far and um,
0: I think I completely understand what you're saying I think in terms of where I was at in my life as well at that time where I was sort of just got into the Manchester United but I didn't really know myself that well at all and for That to happen, this I just didn't know how to deal with it. And that's not, yeah, what people thought that was saying it. Obviously, it probably well, definitely shouldn't have been said, but I thought it was such a sort of a childish thing to say about that. I thought yeah, there yeah. Was something, something wrong with me because it was affecting me so much, so I'd, I didn't ever want to say anything about it because I felt so embarrassed that they were saying these things about me at the same time. I was so down on myself because I was getting so down on about it. And I'm should be absolutely buzzing because i'm playing for the biggest football club in the world so it was it yeah, was a strange sure. strange situation obviously i spoke about probably what you mentioned at the start andy about you're in a bubble as a footballer i never really all i ever knew was football so whenever yeah. these things are happening around me that weren't involved in football i didn't really know how to deal with it so i didn't know myself well enough because all i ever sort of saw myself was was a footballer probably not even a person and they were saying Stuff that weren't involving football it was about my appearance, and there was I just didn't have any idea of what to do and how to deal with it. So I just completely sort of in my shell and just let it all build up inside, which affected me really negatively.
2: Yeah, and it goes back to
0: what you
3: were saying about growing up in the limelight as well. Yeah, because I, I, I you were a young a, man, you know. I think that's the same growing as
1: up. For all, Luke just mentioned there about about being in a bubble. You know that it's similar similar to me, but not on a on a national stage, as in as in on TV publicly. That that jealousy plays a huge part. You know what I mean? You're playing professional football, which people don't like that you're been successful. You're playing for the biggest club in the world. I was playing for my hometown club at the time, so you know what I mean. You're, you're getting jealous people who are saying negative things, and they don't realise they're having an effect on you. They think it's a laughing a joke and it's funny, and it's not. You know what I mean? Because you're you're going into into a training session, going into a game with with negative thought negative thoughts in your head. But then they're the ones giving you a stick after a game, um, or during the game. But the reason I'm not playing very well is because of what you what you're saying. You know what I mean? So it's a, yeah, it's a it's there's a bigger picture to it, and supporters have a have a bigger influence on players' performance levels than the they, they realise. You know that. Um, and I, I'll use an example um, of. Luke said it when he was standing out wide at Upton Park, and you know what I mean—the the abuse you can get. You know what I mean? There's no worse place, by the way, when you're playing badly. Is I'm not saying Luke played badly, by the way, as a footballer. When you're standing out wide uh, uh, on, a, on a football pitch, and, you've, and the ball's gone underneath your foot, or it's bounced over your foot, and it's an absolute nightmare. You can hear the groans, you can hear the abuse, you can you can see the yeah. substitute warming up, and you're thinking your whole world just, just 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 want the whole world to end because you you you, you do at the time feel it's that bad, but. Um, you know what I mean but supporters have a huge role to play and the public in the public eye and celebrities TV and for me Luke said it there it shouldn't have been done I agree they should have known better and hopefully they learn from these kind of things and someone in the future doesn't have to endure and go through the, the things that Luke had to go, go through and, and, and other players have to go through because footballers are there to play football and enjoy what they do and Phil Ford and uh, Greenwood they need to go and enjoy it. Instead of getting constant abuse and, and worrying on a Sunday morning what's going to be in that newspaper, which story is going to be yeah. in that newspaper from from seven years ago. Because people have got hold of all these old stories, by the way, and they're waiting to bring them out. They're waiting for a...
3: Yeah, they hold on some, to them, mate, don't
1: they? Of course they I do. Of course they do. But there should be a shelf life for me, and I don't agree with it because, you know what I mean, it annoys me Statue because,
3: limitations on well, We've all made mistakes. for me,
1: if, if, if you don't bring it out within six months of the, of the, of the story happening, you ain't Bein allowed it. to use it. You ain't allowed. should
3: be, shouldn't it? Um, so just uh, to finish off, uh, Rob Boyle said, uh, "Sorry to bombard the chat." He said, "But gotta be honest, Luke comes across as one of the nicest and most genuine guests you've ever had, uh, and it'll, I'll be sure to give him a follow on Twitter. Make sure you follow me back."
1: We'll bear do. in mind. <laughs> be in mind. By the way, bear in mind. Bear in mind. I would. I would. I would believe him, Luke. But but. Rob put that horrible comment on about me, so I don't believe it when
3: he says. I think it was a different Rob, mate. I think it was a different Rob. I think it was a different Rob, wasn't it? No, no well, it was the same one. Well, well spotted. Well. There we go. Well hey. spotted indeed. All, all um, remembered. And uh, and also, I'd just like to say, James Costley made a great comment there. He says, uh, Shows like Britain's Got Talent and X Factor exploit mental health problems for views. Uh, and I fully believe that as well. I, think that I it, totally I, agree. I hate I totally shows agree. like that. I totally but anyway... Oh, there we are. I, James asked this question right at the start of the show, and I didn't go back to it, so We'll finish on this. Uh, Luke, what was it like playing at Ninian Park?
0: Ninian Park—that was a, a tough place to
1: go. That was a tough.
0: I remember going there with. If you went, if
3: you if you went, I if you went, we is, if, you
0: went if you went as
1: West, if you went as West Ham, you were always lost, by the way, because we had a we had an unbelievable, unbelievable record against West Ham at Ninian. Yeah, I think Scary. We, we did get beat. That, that I think I got
0: pulled off at half time as well, got subbed off, so obviously weren't having a great game that night. But it was always, in fact, I can't remember ever winning a game at Ninian Park.
1: Oh, well, well luckily enough, I did. <laughs> that would have been a bit of a nightmare if I
3: didn't. It was a, it was right. a
1: nice place to play. It was, a, it was one of those, one of those, like Upton Park, I found it, yeah, yeah. But nice, but nice when you got there.
3: Oh, yes, um, guys. Thank you for all the comments, the questions. It's been been amazing, amazing again. Yeah. Some good, good numbers. Good, good banter. Good, good everything. Positivity. I like it. I Luke... think I
0: just saw. Sorry, I just saw a comment flash up there. I think it was what beard died as Luke. Yeah, and that was. Um... Just for men, if you want to get <laughs> just for
3: men. There there you go. go. On if you if you fancy getting on it. <laughs> yeah, I've used that before. I gave up, I gave up on it. though i gone for the grey mm-hmm. now because they've got grey coming through everywhere. So just, oh, I've gone for the grey. I had to well, abandon cause, it. Cause, cause just well, abandon I was, it. Nah, I don't
1: really bother. bother. No,
3: me neither. I'm embracing it now. Embracing the age. I, I, I I'm just I'm just getting better with age. That's what I keep telling myself. <laughs> you don't lack like no, confidence, do you? <laughs> just, uh, not on camera, no.
1: <laughs>
3: Luke it's been a pleasure mate a genuine yeah, a pleasure I've really, uh, really, really enjoyed it, it. no thank you guys
1: thoroughly enjoyed it been classmate keep, uh, uh, keep sending those positive tweets out and keep me amused every morning when I wake up please
3: I'm Indeed. running out
1: I'm running out of banter I've got nothing oh, left mate. Well, don't, don't expect me to pass anything across to you
3: <laughs> Luke what's your what is your social media uh, tag give it a plug
1: I'm not I think if you just type
0: Luke I'm not 100% sure it's Luke Andy F- F- do you know what it is
3: It is Luke (laughs) underscore
1: FFF.
3: Is it something like that? No, I think it's just FFF. Is it FFF? Yeah, Luke underscore FFF. Guys, follow
1: Not that I I stalk anybody, by
3: the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) But uh, guys, follow the Andy Campbell show on all social media at at AC Footy Show. And you can follow Luke Chadwick at underscore FFF on Twitter. And uh, you can follow Ace Podcast Nation on various platforms, just search Ace Podcast Nation. Got loads of different shows this week, including West Indies legend Courtney Walsh is joining us for the cricket show. Cannot wait for that. Got Kevin McNaughton's Crazy Football, episode number two coming. Oh dear, that was uh, interesting. And to finish the week, we have the Andy Campbell Championship show live Friday, where we will talk... Kiefer Moore's masterclass of two-set-piece goals. But Kyra C1, so that's the main thing. That's all that matters. Harris in. Until then, we will see you. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. Thank you for everyone for watching, downloading, and everything after the fact. Spread the word. Tell people. Monday night's The Andy Campbell Football Show with guests from the football world. Thank you to Bespoke Financial for sponsoring the show. And thank you to Black Diamond Sports. Thank you to our guest, Luke Chadwick. And thank you to my co-host, Mr. Andrew Campbell. See you guys.
2: My mummy and daddy have been talking about life insurance. It sounds like something to protect my brother and me, but I don't really understand. Then my auntie Louise told mummy about Bespoke Financial Teesside. After an hour, Darren said goodbye, and Mummy and Daddy seemed a lot happier. Once it was all sorted, we could all relax and watch a film together as a family. I don't know why they didn't do it sooner. Podcast Network.